Each season, Guys Telling Stories seeks out fascinating people with a good story to tell. I'm Rich Douglas, and this man beside me is my co-host, Bill Easton. We're a couple of guys who love a good story. So join us on our quest to find fascinating people with a good story to tell. This is Guys Telling Stories. All right, Bill, we're back. Hey, Rich, how we doing? Ah, it's been too long. I feel, I feel funny, but now I feel better. <laughs> Season three. Season three. Episode one. Episode one of the Guys Telling Stories podcast. Yep, here we go. Bill... We took a little break. Uh, what have you been up to in the off season? Oh boy, I've been uh, I've been training. I know you've been training. You look like you lost some weight. I have lost you? Uh, about what, what, what? Let's see, twenty two pounds. Twenty two pounds in about three months. Basically, just uh, playing a lot more hockey and and doing some workouts in the mornings. All right. Well, you look great. I've Thank been uh, I've been traveling all over. You know, visiting family and friends, and we're back. And we have a great episode for you. Great guest. Cool. Who's the first? Our guest today is Dave McGilvery. Some people know him from being the race director of the Boston Marathon. Woo-hoo. But this guy has more stories than anybody else I've ever met. Yeah, some uh, some funny, some serious. Yeah, well, he I, I looked him up and he has run across the country more than once. So I can't wait to give him a call and hear some of his stories. He's a crazy man. I can't wait to talk to him. Oh, we're excited. So... All right, but before that, let's get to Try at Home. Ooh, all right. Hey, Rich. Yeah, Bill. We have t-shirts. T-shirt design challenge. T-shirt design challenge. So what this is, is I designed a shirt, and Rich designed a shirt, and this is the Guys Telling Stories t-shirt design challenge is in full effect, and you are going to help decide the winner. That's right. Me and Rich, Rich and I, what's, what's proper there? Rich and I. Rich and I. Each designed our own custom t-shirt, and it's up to you to help us decide which one is better. It's mine. I think mine is better. I will tell you about it in a second, but Bill, uh, what does yours look like? Oh, mine is a uh, West Virginia tribute. It says, Mountain Mama, take me home. It has a little logo in the state of West Virginia on it. Am I wearing it? Uh, oh, yeah, I'm wearing it under here. <laughs> he actually does have it on. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great-looking shirt, I have to is. admit. My shirt is the... Uh, Carpe Diem, not Carpe Tomorrow shirt. I've uh, I've got neon letters on there. It's loud. It looks awesome, and I think my shirt's better. But that's... if you don't know what that means, you got to visit season one. I think we talk about Carpe Tomorrow. <laughs> well, all these shirts are custom designed, so you can get yours and help us decide the winner by going to guystellingstories.com and clicking on merch. That's guystellingstories.com. Click on merch. Check out the shirts. Buy the one you think is best, and it's mine. No, it's not. <laughs> All right. We here at Guys Telling Stories love delicious meals at home, and our friends at Blue Apron are offering a better way to cook with fresh ingredients and great recipes delivered right to your door. This is cool. Yeah, this is good stuff. Uh, my wife and I, we are using this right now, in fact. So uh, Blue Apron, it saves you the hassle of grocery shopping and meal planning because they deliver all the recipes and pre-portioned ingredients right to your door. And so you can make these chef-quality meals right at home. Awesome. Now, our listeners get $30 off your first order with Blue Raven by going to guystellingstories.com and clicking on Try at Home. What do the hosts get? Ooh, we might get a box or two. Okay. I'll all call right. you guys over. <laughs> yeah, double dates. <laughs> That's guystellingstories.com. Click on Try at Home to get $30 off your first order with Blue Apron. All right, let's get to our guest, Bill. Dave McGilvery. Yep. Oh, this guy has stories for days. He's I, a- 
I mean, I know what race directors do. Like that's kind of what he he's known for right now is is he's the race director for the Boston Marathon, but it's a big race. It's a huge race. Uh, I think if there's over 30,000 people, they they have at least two, three waves and you know, when he first started, this job didn't even exist. Yeah. You know, there's people, no such thing as a race no director. There's no such thing as a race director. So it's too bad I was going to be a race director. <laughs> there's still time. There's still time. So I'm super excited just to give him a call and to hear his stories from first starting out and growing up to, you know, I've heard, like I said before, he, he's he's ran across the country. He's ran, I think it was something like over 3,000 miles. Have you talked to him before? No. Have you heard him talk? I We have never met him. We've never talked to him. Does he have, he probably has a uh, one of those Boston accents? accents. I hope so. Okay. I love Boston. We got to go up there. Okay. All right. Tomorrow? Ooh, road trip. All right. This is only the first episode. Let's not get ahead okay. of ourselves. Okay. All right. Well, guys, let's uh, give Dave McGilvery a call. All right, Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys, for having me. I appreciate it. Glad you could do it. Are you just outside of Boston right now? Yeah, north of Boston, about 30 miles north, and we're uh, having a uh, pre-spring blizzard right now. I'm expecting about two feet of snow in my front lawn. So I went out about 4.30 this morning to get my run in before it started snowing, and uh, thank goodness for that, because if I went out right now, I wouldn't be able to see my hand in front of my face. <laughs> I know what you mean. We, we've had probably one of the most mild winters and, I guess, early springs here in a while, and now as we're recording, I think it's a state of emergency outside. You know, the schools are closed, and the plows are just coming down the street every couple hours, so. Well, glad you connect with us today, because... Yeah. yeah, sorry, early I would have been on, um, but we lost electricity, power here. Um, I have a backup generator outside, so finally that thing kicked in, and now I'm back in business. So uh, crises management 101 at at, uh, at play here. Awesome. Well, you know, Dave, we always like to uh, send people your way so they can find you on social media or your website. So where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, the best place to reach myself and my company and see what we do and what we're all about is just to go to our website, which is um, www.dmsesports.com. So D is in Dave, M is in McGilvery, S is in sports, E is in enterprise, dmsesports.com. Okay. And that's, uh, that's your business that you've been uh, doing for a while, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I've been, um, uh, had my, had my business for the last uh, 35 years and we've managed about a thousand events over those years and um all over the united states all over the world actually so um so yeah we've uh, pretty much seen it all in the event management business yeah that's no joke no and in addition to that i think some people may know you as uh being the race director of the boston marathon how, how long have you been doing that uh this will be my 30th year oh. i was hired back in 1988 i was sort of titled as the technical director of the race at the time and it sort of morphed into more of an overall operation and logistical kind of uh, guy. And so they uh, changed my title to race director uh, back in 2001, and I've been doing that ever since. That is awesome. I have been there once. My, my wife ran, I, I think it was two years after we met, and uh, it was cold, and we waited for her right by the finish line, and she, uh, she ran her best time ever, and she was just, you know, she was crying afterwards. She was so happy. She got, she got the jacket with the, uh, the yellow stripes on it, and it still hangs proudly right in the uh, closet behind me to this day. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. It's funny. I travel the races all over the country 
regularly in the um, the piece of merchandise I see most often, maybe because I'm more sensitive to it, but is uh, the BAA gear, the Boston Marathon gear. It's it's like literally everywhere in the running industry. So, you know, people similarly are proud uh, once they participate at Boston to be able to let the world know that, hey, been there, done that. I've been to the Holy Grail <laughs> and I've, uh, I've competed in the Super Bowl, World Series, Kentucky Derby, Tour de France, all rolled into one in um, in the uh, running industry. So we're proud that they're proud of their accomplishment and we're proud of them. Right. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think she'd, she'd love to go back again. And we've, through the podcast, made some friends in Boston. We'd love to make it up there just to uh, kind of take it all in, um, do anything from the breweries to see the uh, the waterfront. And it's uh, it's something yeah. we got to put on our own personal bucket sure. list. And we could start like uh, 200 feet away from the finish line and, and dump some water <laughs> on us and uh, run right through that bad oh, boy. Yeah. She still runs, uh, Dave. I, uh, yeah, I, I give her all the credit in the world. She was pr- out there today in this weather like you were. But, you know, Bill and I are... we. He keeps fitness uh, busy with uh, sports, and, and I, I usually do some classes at the gym. So, you know, whatever works. Yeah. Well, not everyone uh, needs to do it or can do it. We need we need some spectators, too, you know. So if everyone ran, <laughs> we'd be known on the sidelines cheering for the rest of us, I guess, right? That is true. Yeah. Well, well, Dave, I know you've got some some great stories to tell, and I was hoping to bring the listeners, uh, you know, back to when you were growing up, you know, like maybe a, a root story, and uh, and and I think they're going to be happy with what they hear. So maybe you can kind of paint that picture for us, you know, what home life was like, family, um, you know, take us wherever you want. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I grew up in a, a city called Medford, Mass, uh, right outside of Boston, about seven miles outside of Boston. And, you know, when I was growing up, I wanted to be one thing and one thing only, and that was an athlete. Um, Unfortunately for me, I was sort of challenged in the sense that I was short in stature. So I guess you could say I was vertically challenged. (laughs) And uh, as a result, you know, you're going out for team sports. um, They're always looking for the big guys. And I was not one of them. So I was always the last one cut from the team or always the last one picked when my friends, uh, you know, bucked up for sides. Um, so it was tough to make the teams in that regard. So I started to run because nobody can cut you from running. Right. And, um, you just run and run and run. And that's what sort of started my, my running career. And then, um, then once I, um, graduated from college, I set a goal of running across the United States. So I trained for about four years for that. And I ran from Method, Oregon and Method, Massachusetts, 3,452 miles in 80 days, uh, finished inside Fenway Park um, on August 9th, 1978, in front of 35,000 people. Wow. And um, to this day, that was the highlight of my athletic career is doing that run across the country and finishing in Fenway. And once I accomplished that, it was just like one of those things where the walls of intimidation crumbled and I believed I could almost do anything athletically if I put my mind to it and earned the right to do it. And since then, I've run across the country a few more times. I've run up the east coast of America. I've done the Ironman triathlon in Hawaii uh, nine times. Um, I run my age and my birthday every year since I was 12. Uh, people say to me all the time, well, you've done all these different things. What's your best accomplishment? And I always answer by saying my best accomplishment is is my next one. Yeah. I never want to live off the past. I always want to you know, live for today and plan for tomorrow, set new and challenging goals and, um, you know, and, and, and just continue to challenge myself. 
What was your uh, family like? Did they have a running history? Um, or is this something that you just kind of picked up because of? No, the- not, 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 not at all. You know, it, it's, it's funny because I was really the only one that sort of went the athletic route. Um, I'm the youngest of five and my brother works for a center for the blind. My other sister's a nurse. My other sister's a social worker. My other brother's a CFO. And facetiously, when people I started directing races, people used to ask me what I did. And I would actually mumble, you know, I'm a race director. They're like, you're a what? <laughs> you know, I said, I'm a race director. It's like, what the heck is a race director? Like, what do you do? And do you just chalk mark in the road and yell go? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, you just you, know, and, uh, you fire the gun and uh, put up. Yeah, the fire fin- the gun and put up the watch him run line, down yeah. the street. Give him a bowl of beef stew and tell him to go home. <laughs> uh, but but that's all changed now, and and <clears throat> because back then it was just a very competitive environment. There was only a few hundred people doing it. Now there's tens of thousands of people doing it. And for me, when people ask me what do I do for a living now, I say I help raise the level of self self-confidence and self-esteem of tens of thousands of people in America. Because in essence, that's what we do now. We give people an opportunity to, um, you know, have the guts to set a goal and work really hard at it and get to the starting line and answer the gun and cross the finish line and get that medal and go home feeling good about themselves. And that's the very foundation by which we all are able to gain the, the, the courage and the confidence and the strength to accomplish anything else you want in life. Now that should be the answer to a lot of the questions why these races go on. Um, whether it's a 5k or a marathon or half marathon or run across the country or, or biking or any of that. Um, there's a lot of these new pop up, I guess, trendy races. The, they throw glitter on you and they put colors on you. And, and, uh, the one now is a black light one. And there's one, the most recent one that I saw, they, they literally just set up a track in a parking lot and have a band in the middle. And I feel like it's the same person that runs all of these. I don't know if it's uh, if they do it for the same mm. reasons why you do it. I think it's more of a, hey, we can charge $30 and put a band up there and we're going to make some money to do this. And I appreciate that they get the run and support in, but I feel like they use the the pure idea of a race and a run to make money for themselves. Is that something that you've noticed, uh, or is that just my opinion on on some of these newer, trendy runs? Yeah, well, it's an astute observation for sure, and I can certainly make a conscientious decision to get into that space, too, and, and arguably, you know, make more money doing that. Um, I'm in it for a whole different reason. I'm, I'm in it for the health and fitness benefits, the lifestyle benefits. Um, this isn't just about social activity for me. Um, this is about changing lives. This is about, um, you know, focusing on your health and, and your, and your fitness. I'm not adverse to, to, um, coexisting with, with events like that, because the way I look at it is a lot of times those people who participate in those events, they're doing it obviously for a different reason. But it is getting them off the couch, and it is getting them outside, and it is getting them moving. And I think once, you know, the, the uh, newness of all of that wears off and they've climbed over enough barbed wire and run through enough fire and had enough 
collar thrown at them. <laughs> um, eventually, they're going to say, okay, I, I can't do this for a living. I can't do this for the rest of my life. But I did enjoy the fact that I was able to you know, sort of get some exercise and get out there and meet people. And then, in my opinion, then they're going to morph over to my side of the fence, and they're going to become people who participate in 5Ks, 10Ks, halves, and eventually a marathon and maybe triathlon. And, and then it is going to become a lifestyle for them. So in the long run, I think it's, it's overall helpful in just um, in, um, incentivizing people for whatever reason to eventually to get out there and, and get moving. And, and, and that's the end result. You know, listening to some of these stories already, I'm wondering if people are thinking, this is, this is a guy who's probably, he won every race he ever entered, but did you win that first race, for example? Or, or like, what's that memory of actually like making a change when you were a little bit younger to uh, start training, for example, to run across the country? Yeah, well, for me, it wasn't about traditionally winning, crossing the finish line first. It, it was about just getting in the game. It was about setting goals. And for me, it was more endurance related. Mm-hmm. I wasn't always the the guy who was going to win the race. I mean, I did fairly well in in most of my races, but I wasn't always the first one across the the finish line. But the way I looked at it is that um, you know, I was out I was out there following my heart, following my passion, um, and I was able to set these personal challenges, whether it's running across the country or up the East Coast or. I did a 24-hour run. I did a 24-hour bike ride once. And I did a 24-hour swim in a pool. I swam for 24 straight hours <laughs> in a pool. Wow. I mean, I won't tell you what I look like when I get out of it. But um, so for me, that's it's all about setting these challenges. But you have to be realistic in, in, in doing so. And you have to earn the right to do it. When I ran my first Boston Marathon, I was 17 years old. And I had called my grandfather up, who was a supporter of my athleticism, and I said, hey, I'm going to go out and run the Boston Marathon. He said, well, I'll wait for you at the 24-mile point because he lived right near there. Nice. And I said, okay, fine. And I took off, and I got to the hills in Newton, Mass., about 19 miles, and I went down on all fours and got taken to the local hospital in an ambulance. And then I I got home and I called my grandfather and there's no answer. And I called him again and there's no answer. And finally, nine o'clock at night, he answers the phone. And I said, Grandpa, where have you been? He said, Dave, where have you been? (laughs) You know, I've been waiting for you all night. (laughs) And uh, I said, I apologize. I I failed. I quit. He said, nah, you didn't quit. I said, I didn't. What did I do? He said, you learn. I said, what did I learn? He said, you learned that you cannot go along and set reckless goals. He said, you had no business really doing that. You didn't train. You didn't earn the right. I said, you're right. He says, I'll cut another deal with you. And I said, what? He says, you train next year and I'll be there waiting for you. And I said, okay, deal. Well, the next year came. and But but two months after he said that, my grandfather died. Mm. And I said, I'm going to do this race, this next year's race in his memory. So I trained really hard. And right be- the day before the race, I got sick. And my parents said, you can't run. And I said, I have to run. I have to run for grandpa. So they finally let me run, but it was awful. And at five miles, I was ready to drop out. And then finally, where I dropped out the year before, I just kept on going and did the survivor shuffle. And I got through 18, 19. I finally got to 21 and a half miles. And down I go again. So I dropped out two years in a row. So here I want to be an athlete. And I'm always the last one picked. I'm always the last one cut. 
I drop out of my first Boston and I drop out of my second Boston and I put my head between my legs and I just said, what a loser. You know, I just, I can't get it done. And then all of a sudden a defining moment happened and I looked around and all of a sudden the place looked familiar and right behind me was a cemetery. And that's where my grandfather was buried in the cemetery. And there's his tombstone. And I didn't know that the cemetery he was buried in was right on the Boston Marathon course. And I dropped out right in front of his tombstone. And I said, son of a gun. He said he'd be here waiting for me. Now, he wasn't there physically, but he was there spiritually. And I felt he kept his end of the deal. So I picked myself up and I kept going. I finished the last five miles. And I finished in four and a half hours, my very first marathon ever. And I said, I'm going to run this race every year in honor and tribute of the lesson that my grandfather taught me about earning the right to do this. And I've run the Boston Marathon for the last 44 years in a row. And I've run 145 marathons and never dropped out of another one other than that very first one because of the lesson that my grandfather taught me. That, that's incredible. Yeah, I am a little speechless. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we love hearing about, you know, that, that motivating moment, that inspirational moment, and just knowing that your grandfather was, was he kept up his part of the deal. Um, yeah. It, it, it was, it's, it's inspiring to know you were still able to finish those, those last couple of miles and, uh, and then have been doing it ever, ever since. That's, mm-hmm. that's incredible. So Dave, if we could bring it forward a little bit, you know, yeah. a, after, after maybe gaining some notoriety for, for running across the country and did you set a new goal for yourself beyond just the, you know, the athletic ones, like for example, becoming an entrepreneur or, you know, starting your own business. Cause there's a lot of listeners out there that might be interested to hear how you took these life experiences and turned them into a way to make a living and help other people. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I got a degree in math. So, um, you know, I, um, I, I got a job working for a benefit consulting firm in the John Hancock tower in Boston and, and, um, you know, I took a three month leave of absence to run across the country. And when I got back, my boss says, okay, you finished on a Tuesday, you'll be back at work on a Wednesday. <laughs> I said, well, I could have a couple of days off to kind of regroup a little bit. I'll be back on Monday. And then on Friday of that week, after running across a continent and raising hundreds of thousands of dollars for sick kids, um, I got a termination letter and they fired me. And, um, I look back at that and say that. That was the best thing that ever happened to me because truly I wasn't following my heart. You know, I did get a degree in math, but that's really not the path I wanted to. I knew and deep down I wanted to follow. So I opened up an athletic footwear and clothing store in my hometown. And then I started putting on events to promote the store. And then I realized I like putting on events more than more than shoes on people's feet. (laughs) And I just started developing my own business at a time 35, 37 years ago where it wasn't that fashionable to be putting on events. And, um, but I knew then that this wasn't just about a road race. This was about something very different and like changing lives. And like I said, you know, all about self-confidence and self-esteem. And I, I knew, I knew someday that people were going to get it. And here we are, you know, 35 years from, from them. And, you know, races us are selling out at record pace. People are truly believing in themselves. And what happened only a short period of time, maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago, is uh, philanthropy started entering into the space. So people started saying, hey, you know, I'm not sure I can do this just for me, a personal goal, but uh, I want to do it for my next door neighbor who's sick or ill or 
you know, do it for a greater purpose. And then people started, you know, participating in these events and it just took off. So, um, like I said, now races are selling out at record pace and, you know, we're talking races with 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 people in it. Um, so that's why I've been very lucky to have a niche where I handle the operational and logistical side of, of about 30 events a year is, and I have a you know whole bunch of people that work with me on all these events, and it's been a labor of love ever since. Yeah, that's incredible because it sounds like you got yourself into a position where you can be successful in the future because there wasn't necessarily that same competition that Bill mentioned before with all these other types of races, but you've become basically the number one I'm a, a company to go to to organize a race, not just in your hometown, but all over the world. Have, has, uh, where's, where's like a place outside of uh, America that your, uh, your company well, is brought you? I put on uh, races in South America, Lima, Peru. I put on the uh, a marathon in Singapore, 60,000 runners in this race in Singapore. So we've been in the Caribbean, triathlons all over the place. So you know, I'm 62 years old now. I have five kids. So um, I'm at a point now where I'd like to stay a little bit more local to stay close to the family. But I could travel the world anytime I wanted to because there's such a demand for um, for expertise in doing this. And there are only a, a handful of companies similar to ours that does this sort of thing, you know, at a level that, um, you know, people would want to fly you in from all over the world to have you help manage their event. So I'm very fortunate that um, I'm in this, in this space. What's the uh, biggest, was 60,000 the, the biggest race, people-wise? Uh, yeah, yeah. In terms of field size, that one was the biggest. Boston is uh, 30,000. Um, and each one has its own, you know, deliverables. Each one has its own challenges. I was asked to help put on a race over the Chesapeake Bay Bridge a couple of years ago. So we were hired to do that and I thought they would get three or 4,000 people the very first year and they ended up getting 20,000, um, in year one and 25,000 in year two. And so, you know, uh, again, um, it's, it's big business now. You really need to know what you're doing. Um, and, and now too, with just, it's all about, it's about three things now, uh, other than the event itself, it's about technology and, you know, who has the who has the most toys um, seems to separate one event from another. Now it's about medical because so many people are doing it that the the chances are higher that somebody's going to need help, you know, in a race. And last but not least, and unfortunately, security. Um, given what happened at Boston in 2013, now the level of security at most of these events are at a significant heightened, you know, uh, level. And, and as a result, you got to focus an awful lot on that, which is, again, unfortunate, but necessary. So there's a lot to this that um, very uh, labor intensive. But but again, once once it's all said and done, um, I wouldn't trade it for anything else in the world. Absolutely. Well, you know, Dave, we, we usually like to get into like a struggle story or an obstacle one. And you brought up uh, 2013. So I hope it's okay to ask you just a little bit about that day because, you know, Boston came together and they over they overcame is something that is a tragedy that we're all going to remember. That experience being a struggle, if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about how you move forward from that, because that's kind of what I'm left with. I'm remembering, you know, Boston Strong and, and uh, 
you know, turning a tragedy into something that, you know, kind of pulled the entire nation together. So, you know, how, how did you overcome an experience like that? Yeah. Well, inevitably, good overcomes evil. Um, and it was really the, for me, the running community that came together. You know, as soon as that happened, I thought, you know, I, I, obviously our focus was on the victims and and uh, those who were profoundly impacted by by the bombings. But um, in thinking about the industry, I thought, is this the end of the Boston Marathon? Yeah. You know, people aren't going to want to come back. Um, in fact, um, my uh, my family was actually sitting in the bleachers watching the race at the time. And my eight-year-old son, you know, unfortunately saw everything. And um, after, you know, two or three days had passed and I finally came home, um, you know, he come up to me and he, uh, he gave me a hug and he looked at me and he said, Hey dad, um, I, I never want you to direct that race again. And, um, wow. I mean, it really hit me because here's an eight year old boy who's associating as his father's job with danger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, it's, it's a road race, you know, chalk yeah. back in the road, y'all go. Right. And, uh, but no longer, you know, that, that all got stripped away you know, in one day. And, um, but we're, we're a resilient bunch and, um, you know, they mess with the wrong community. (laughs) Um, and you know, in 2014, we came back stronger than ever and it was just epic. Um, and we took back our race, we took back Boylston street, we took back our finish line. And I really thought people were going to stay away in droves and just the opposite happened. More people wanted to come here we increased the field size by over 9,000 more runners, and that's not easy to do on this very tight course. But people wanted to come here and not be denied and prove to the world that we're going to get through this. And uh, and we, we certainly did. And it's funny, a few months after the race, my son come up to me again and he said, hey, Dad, remember I told you I didn't want you to direct a race again? I said, yeah, Luke, I remember. He goes, you know why? I said, why? He says, because I want to direct it, you know, and so <laughs> – even my little eight-year-old uh, son you know, recovered. So, um, you know, perseverance and and um, and people's will to, um, you know, to not give up their freedom just prevailed. Yeah, I've got chills right now just hearing mm-hmm. hearing you speak and 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 moving us forward. You know, past that event into uh, into like a, a record-breaking you know 2014. So that's incredible. Is uh, is is your son? Is he following in your footsteps now? Is he uh, is he trying to? help volunteer at any of these races and, uh, you know, get himself on the walkie talkie, tell people what to do. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously when he's asked what he wants to do for a living, he says race director. And yeah. I say, don't say that too loudly. <laughs> <laughs> uh. yeah. yeah. I was uh, doing a little research and I was reading that, um, not too long ago, you, you made a couple of lifestyle changes too, just to yeah. keep that, keep that, you know, personal fitness and, and health, um, you know, as, as best as you could. What'd you do to make some lifestyle changes once you, you know, got into the 60s? Well, what happened was, is I, you know, only a few years ago I was out running and I could feel this, um, you know, pain in my chest, if you will, and difficulty breathing. And so I, I, I changed, changed certain things, you know, I figured, okay, maybe I'm running too early or too late. Maybe I'm in the heat, maybe I'm in the cold. Maybe I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I don't know. And, but it, I couldn't, I couldn't fix it. So I went and had all these tests done, uh, echocardiograms and stress tests and EKGs and everything else. And everything showed that I'm fine. 
there's nothing wrong with me. And I turned to the doctor and I said, yes, there is something wrong with me. I can't breathe when I run. And I said, you got to you got to look under the hood a little bit more. Um, you got to give me the big boy test. Yeah. So they dragged me in and they gave me the CAT scan and the angiogram and the doctor came in and he says here and there and there and there. And he said, you have severe coronary artery disease. And I was like, what? How can I have artery disease when I've run 145 marathons, run across the country on the Ironman? This doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's like telling uh, it's like telling a superhero, like, uh, hey, you're uh, you're not as super as you thought. It's like, wait, wait, wait a second. You know, how am I yeah. doing this every single morning? That's right. With a with a heart disease, but right, right. And so, you know, for the first time in my life, I realized that just because you're fit doesn't necessarily mean you're healthy. And, um, you know, and I, I have a history in my family of heart disease and, but I, I, I just didn't think I had it. Right. And so, but it's also self-inflicted too, because, you know, as an endurance athlete, at least at the time I felt if the furnace is hot enough, it'll burn. (laughs) And so, you know, I broke some of the rules in terms of diet and other things. And of course there was stress in my life. And, um, I always thought sleeping was overrated. Um, and that I could get away with as little as possible and get a lot accomplished in a day. And, but, um, when I was lying on the operating table, I turned to the doctor and I said, I got a question to ask you. And he said, what's that? I said, is this reversible? He said, well, it depends. I said, depends on what? He said, depends on the person. I said, well, you're looking at him. He said, yeah, I, 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 uh, he said, well, you, with your discipline, I, you know, I think it could be. I said, well, sign me up. So I changed everything. You know, my diet, my nutrition, my sleep habits, mm-hmm. my stress and everything else. And in about six months, um, I lowered my cholesterol level by over 100 points and um, I lost 27 pounds and um, I reversed my own severe coronary artery disease by over 50 percent. That's great. Um, on my own without without real medication per se. And um, since then, you know, my breathing problem has gone away. I've gone back and done the Ironman in Hawaii again. I've run about 10 more marathons since. And, uh, and now my next goal in an athletic endeavor is next January. I'm going to – I've signed up to do that seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. Wow. Yeah, I have, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, tell us a little bit about this one. I haven't heard of that one. I mean, how do you get from continent to continent after running uh, well, yeah. after running a marathon? Well, it's been going on for three years. This last January was the third year of this concept, and about 20, 30 people sign up for it. And um, you all meet in Chile, and then you jump on a Russian jet that flies you to Union Glacier, Antarctica. And then you, the clock starts then, and you run a marathon there. And then you jump on the plane and you go to Chile, back to Chile and do a marathon there and then jump on a plane and go to Miami and do a marathon there and jump on a plane and go to Madrid and do a marathon there and jump on a plane and go to Morocco, do a marathon there and jump on a plane and go to Dubai and uh, run a marathon there and then end up in Sydney, Australia and do a marathon there. Seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. Okay. Here's an obvious question. You start in Chile. And you don't start running in Chile. No, you start in Chile just to meet with everyone to take a, a jet to Antarctica. So the Antarctica <laughs> race is the first one. Yeah. Yeah. How else are you going to get to Antarctica? Well, I, don't know, I figured you'd race in Chile first and then go uh, to Antarctica. Like, oh, man. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, the reason why you want to start Antarctica, because that's the most um, risky in terms of weather. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to get to Antarctica and then have the weather be so bad that you can't, you have to wait a day or two. So you want to start first with Antarctica, get that one out of the way, and then the clock's ticking, and now you got seven days I gotcha. to I gotcha. do it all. Do it all up. Yeah. How many uh, How many runners? Um, this past year they had, I think, 35. Okay. So they can't take more than 30 to 40 or something like that as part of this ordeal. Oh, I'd <laughs> love to join you, but... Uh... <laughs> You're busy that month? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm carrying my bags, right? Uh, you know what? I, would, I, I hope they have a cool, like uh, you talked about tech earlier, a cool social media person because that would be something... I would be something I'd want to tune into, you know, check in on my Facebook oh, feed or my Twitter, yeah. you know, and just be like, hey, where are these guys today and, and how are they doing? And uh, and so, yeah, we'll uh, I, I want to post about that. Yeah, when, that's cool. You know, that's when that, a, yeah, the website is events. it's um, World Marathon Challenge. So if you Google World Marathon Challenge, there's the website. And this past year when they did it, I was following the, the folks. I had a couple of personal friends doing it. So I was following them as they were doing it. Uh, you know, at the end of January is when it is. So I'm looking forward to doing it myself in a few months. So, well, that was kind of our next question. Yeah. Like, what are your future goals? And you jumped right right into <laughs> it. But uh, besides you know, that, what else? Uh, what else do you have on the plate? Yeah, maybe a few years down the line, or if it's uh, you know something else you got on the back burner. Any uh, you know vision for yourself in the in the future? Well, I, you know, I'm like a street kind of guy. So you know, I have 44 Boston's. This will be 45 this year. Mm-hmm. And as you may or may not know, since I direct it during the day, I don't run it with everyone. So once the race is over, I get driven back out to the start and I run it myself. So I've been the last finisher at the Boston Marathon for the last 29 years. <laughs> so I want to continue doing that. Um, the record, if you will, and I'm not really going after the record, but just for the sake of understanding, the record is um, 58 Boston Marathons, not necessarily in a row, but 58. So. That's done by a friend of mine, old Johnny Kelly, and he, he ran 58 Boston Marathons. So I'll be at 45 this year. So I got I got 13 more to do to catch up to him, and I'll be 75 years old <laughs> by then. So okay. I want to keep that going as long as I, you know, God willing, I can do that. And then um, I've been running my age on my birthday every year for the last 50 years. So yeah. it gets exponentially harder because... <laughs> The older you get, the more difficult it is just to even run a mile. And then the older I get, I got to add another mile. So um, that's been an interesting challenge over the years. So I want to continue with that, too. Yeah. Like, how does that work? For example, do you take off at seven in the morning and just sort of run till it's lunchtime, maybe take a little break and then, you know, run till it's dinner time? I mean, when you're you're running 60 miles, you know. I wish I could take off at seven. I usually start now about two in the morning. And, um, and I basically, I used to, when, when it was, when I was younger and was doing this, I used to try to find interesting places to do the miles, but now I'm just trying to stay close to home <laughs> yeah. just to make sure nothing bad happens. <laughs> so I do these five mile loops around the neighborhood and I always come back to home base, grab something to drink or whatever, and go back out again and do it another loop and another loop and another loop. And, you know, basically it takes me all day to do it. But, um, and my birthday's in August, so it can be really hot on that particular day. It could be in the eighties or so. So I want to, I want to be safe in how I do this. So I keep it, keep it close. 
I'm picturing that scene in the Rocky movies where he's training. Do any of the neighborhood kids start following yeah. you with their bicycles? Yeah, well, yeah, and- yeah, yeah. I have people join me every now and then for a loop or two or whatever. When I turned 60 a couple of years ago, I threw a big party at the house and people showed up at two in the morning and ran laps with me. And I had about 250 people run with me throughout the day. So it was pretty cool. That's nice. Yeah, that's, that's great. That, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing about that one. Yeah, that's good. Well, you know, as we kind of wrap this thing up a little bit, Dave, uh, any advice you'd give to somebody who is kind of just starting out in the running community? Yeah, well, I have a motto in life and it's called, um, it says, it's my game, so it's my rules. In other words, um, you know, never allow anyone to tell you that um, you can't accomplish something that you set your mind to. Um, For example, those who say it cannot be done should not interrupt those who are doing it. And, um, you know, I think it's a lot of times I used to think that going out and doing a long run was selfish because I'd leave my family behind. And um, I almost feel like, geez, I'm out here doing something for myself instead of doing something for my family or my friends. And now I think just the opposite. I think that the most important person on the planet is you. And you need to take care of yourself um, because two things happen when you do that. One is you uh, eliminate the burden of other people having to have to take care of you if you don't take care of yourself. And two is you're able to put yourself in a position to help those who are less fortunate. So I think I think the idea is to focus on yourself and take care of yourself. And, um, and that comes with, um, you know, wanting to run a 5K or a 10K or a half or a full. That's okay. Those are magnets. Yeah. You know, events are magnets. And they get you out of bed and they get you setting goals and they get you – being realistic about them. And, um, so, you know, being patient with it is, is key. Being realistic with it is, is key. Um, and so, so that's sort of my advice to people is, um, you know, get out there and, you know, and, and, and try to accomplish something. It's funny. People say to me all the time, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? And, um, you know, it's, I, I, I struggle with that sometimes. Like what, what do I want to be a you know, and um, and I was driving down the highway the other day and I saw a billboard and it had one word on it and the word was accomplisher. And I said, that's it. That's what I want to be. I want to be an accomplisher. Nice. I just want to set goals and go after them and accomplish them and check them off the list and then set the next one. And um, so far, so good. Yeah, we'll keep it going. It's it's inspiring. I I do a little um, like a bicycle trip every year, and uh, last year we went with my father in law, and he the first year he came for a couple of days. He wasn't sure if he could he could make it all the way. We went across New York State along the uh, Erie Canal, and uh-huh. this, this past year he uh, he stayed for the whole thing. We went from Pittsburgh to D.C. and he's uh, he was sixty seven years old, and I'm already talking to him about the next bike trip, and. Yeah, you know, I'm just I'm thinking ahead. I, at 67, I want to be still on that bicycle, you know, and I want to still be doing trips just like him. So it's it's stories like that and stories like the ones you've been sharing that are inspiring me to uh, to just keep going. Yeah, you know what I mean, and, uh, and and going after those goals. People call you crazy when you say you're going to ride a bicycle across the uh, state, but I'm talking to a guy who ran across the country, so you you know it's not that crazy. No, not at all. Well. Dave, this has been incredible. I think people are going to love hearing the stories. Um, we're going to sort of close this thing out. So if you want to mind, maybe you could just tell people where to find you online again. Uh, plug that website. Yeah, sure. It's um, 
dmsesports.com. That's dmsesports.com. Absolutely, and go and go check them out online. You've got you've got probably a few stories we haven't even hit on, and uh, and I know you have a book the as book. well too, yeah, right? We can talk about the book. Yeah, those. You- yeah, well, it, it, you know, it, it, for obvious reasons, it's titled "The Last Pick." Oh. You can find it on Amazon. Um, dot com, and people say to me all the time, "What's your book about?" I always say, "It's about the person reading it," mm-hmm. because everyone that reads that book can identify with the stories in it because they've been there, done that. We're all. I'm no better than anyone else. We've all experienced many of the similar things, and it's just a matter of how you overcome obstacles and how you process challenges that sort of get you to the finish line. Well, great. It's a pleasure talking to you, Dave, and meeting you. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. Thanks so much for sharing your stories. All right, guys, uh, until next time. All right, Dave McGillivray. That's impressive. Bill, yeah, what a a guy. Seven, Seven marathons. In seven days. On seven continents. Yeah. I got to check that out. That's uh, coming up in January. So we've got a little bit of time, but still, wow. And the, those stories about, about you know, 2013 and, mm-hmm. and his grandfather. Wow. Yeah, that grand, the grandfather thing is, uh, like, it's freaky, but it's in a good way. Freaky. Oh, that's so cool. I was like, this is the perfect story. This is a, <laughs> we love this stuff. So, all right, guys, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Hey, you know what we don't do? We don't ever ask people to, like, hey, call us, tell us. Text us, Facebook us, tweet us. Let us know what you thought of it. Like, if you have comments on any of this stuff, too, feel free to, to message us with them. Yeah, please do. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, guys telling stories on all social media. We'd love to hear from you. Quick reminder, guys, we need to decide the T-shirt contest design winner. Mm-hmm, that's right. We need your help picking me with the West Virginia Mountain Mama Take Me Home Country Road shirt. A couple different color options. Cool shirt. I'm wearing it. Obviously, you can't see that, but... It looks good. I got to admit. You. Thank you. Are you wearing yours? I no, you're ashamed bad. of yours. That's why you're not wearing <laughs> yours. All right. Go well, to guysellingstories.com. <laughs> Click on merch, check out the shirts, and help us decide the winner. All right. And also, thanks again to our friends at Blue Apron. Blue Apron is delivering fresh ingredients with great recipes right to your door, taking the hassle out of that grocery shopping and the meal prepping. So remember to get $30 off your first order by going to guystellingstories.com and clicking on Try at Home. I'm going to go run a marathon. Oh, you should. And fill up on Blue Apron and wear your uh, Guys Telling Stories t-shirt while you're at it. Boom. All right. Well, guys, this has been a great first episode for Season 3. Tune in next week, and until next time. <laughs>